Everybody happy tonight? Let's turn to 1 John and let's see if we can make it through these muddled ones. Now, yeah, there's two, and this one doesn't look as bad. So we can make it through this one. If you have, oh, wow. Yeah, that's okay. We can read those verses. I can read them. I know some of you are thinking, thank God that's not my eyes. So let's stand together and let's just read verse 19 and then we can be seated and we'll get through this first page somehow. All right, it says in verse 19, we're in 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, we're going to finish chapter 2 tonight. It says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. Father, thank you for anointing your word to our hearts tonight. Speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. I'll teach from this. We'll get through this. Now, we've been going through 1 John. And last week we closed with talking about the Antichrist. The Antichrist. And we showed you that the Antichrist is a person, but it's also a spirit. And what John is addressing here in verse 19, John is talking about, he says, they went out from us. He's talking about those that carried the Antichrist spirit, those who were walking in the spirit of Antichrist. And what is the spirit of Antichrist? It is the spirit that says, Jesus did not come in the flesh. Jesus did not come in the flesh. He did not really put on, God did not wrap himself in flesh and live among us and die on the cross. That's the spirit of Antichrist. The spirit of Antichrist is even stronger than that. We talked about the difference between false Christ and Antichrist. False Christ is the word pseudo-Christos, and that just means somebody who assumes the office of Messiah, somebody who walks around saying they're the Messiah. Now, I, I remember, for instance, how many of you remember the Reverend Moon? He was teaching his followers, I am the Messiah. That's a pseudo-Christos, that's a false Christ. That's different from the Antichrist. The Antichrist is not just against Christ, but actively opposes Christ. It's a spirit. It is a spirit that gets in people who, who are not saved. Now John is telling us that in the early church there was a while there when you had antichrist or people with the antichrist spirit mingling with the real believers. But how many of you have noticed that God has a way of separating sheep from wolves? And God has a way of separating lambs from goats. And John is saying in verse 19... They, the they who went out from them, is those who were walking in the spirit of Antichrist. And he says the time came when the Holy Ghost brought a separation. And they left us. They, they left our fellowship. They would have continued with us, if, but they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. You know, folks, I've learned that there is, there is some wisdom in learning to say goodbye as well as hello. And I've learned that sometimes when God goes to remove things from our lives, sometimes we will clutch to those things and we won't trust God, but later we will see 
that God knew exactly what he was doing. That whatever left, whether it was a human being or something else, needed to go. And here's these people fellowshipping with the Christians, and all the while they didn't really believe what the real believers did believe. They believed that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. But these antichrist people finally said, see ya, we're gone. And they went out from their fellowship. These false teachers went out from the true believers in the sense they departed not only from them physically, but doctrinally from the position of the church as to the person of the Lord Jesus. They were not of us. I believe right now in America, in the churches in America, there is a separating going on. And we're beginning to see those who were really of the real true faith and those who were not. There's a separation going on. And the Bible predicted that would happen. That in the last days, men would give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines taught by devils. And that's not talking about a human being, but it's demon spirits. And demon spirits teach. And the Bible says, Paul said in the latter days, in the last days, in the last time, men and women are going to be giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils and will depart from the faith. They'll depart from the faith. Same thing that happened right here. They will go out from among us because they were not of us. So you know what you do? You let that separation happen. And anytime somebody says goodbye, don't try to talk somebody into staying who wants to go. Let them go and trust God. Just trust God. Now he says, now John, now you remember now why he wrote this letter. He wrote this letter because of false teachers. And what do we call them? You get an A plus, plus if you say it here tonight. Give yourselves a hand. Gnostics. G-N-O-S-T-I-C-S, Gnostics. And what do the Gnostics teach? Jesus didn't really, God did not wrap himself in skin. God did not take on a material body. Because the Gnostics taught that all material things were evil. So if God had taken on a body like Christianity teaches, then that body would have been evil. So they said, Jesus didn't really come and die on a real cross, and they took away the truth of the faith. So John writes the whole letter answering these people. So he says right here, talking to the church now, now that we know they have gone out from us, these false teachers, he said, but you, look at your neighbor and tell them, that must mean you. What does it say? He says, you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. Now, what in the world does anointing mean? Because, you know, you hear people say, oh, he's anointed, she's anointed, they're anointed, Billy Graham's anointed, different ministers, preachers were anointed. I got news for you tonight. All of you have been anointed. All of you have been anointed. As a matter of fact, I want you to believe it enough to say it with me. Will you? At the count of three, I want you to say I have been anointed. It's not pride talking. It's, it's reality. So are you ready? One, two, three. I have been anointed. John wants you to know that. John wants you to know that. 
If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, let's say it again, one, two, three, I have been anointed. You have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. Better put, if I were going to translate that straight out of the Greek, see that those three words, know all things, it, it would be better put, you all know. You all know. Not Texas style. <laughs> all of you know. What, what is he saying that all of us who have been anointed, what is he saying that we know? You all know that he really did come in the flesh. He really was God's Messiah. He really did die for your sins on the cross. And he really did rise from the dead on the first Easter morning. You all know that. And how do you know that? Because you have an anointing from the Holy One. The word anointing or unction is charisma. All that we did with, with English, we took C-H-R-I-S-M-A. They dropped the vowel. There was no vowel there in, in the original Greek. All we did was we took that word charisma without the A and we turned it into charisma, meaning somebody who is magnetic or attractive and that is not what the Greek meaning of the word is. When you hear the Greek using charisma, it's not talking about somebody magnetic or somebody compelling or, or, or attractive. It's not talking about that at all. It means the act of applying something to something else for a certain purpose. When the New Testament used the word charisma or unction or anointing, it was used to describe, for instance, the act of applying grease to the yoke band of an ox so that it would not irritate the sleek hide of the ox. So I think you get what it means. You would put this anointing, you would anoint the yoke of the ox so that its skin wasn't rubbed raw. So you anointed it. And then again, it was also used to describe the application of a lotion to a sick horse. Here's the idea. Anointing means something has been applied to you. Someone else beyond you has applied something to you. So when he says, you have, all of you, an anointing, he's telling us that when we got saved, God applied to you the Holy Ghost. So all of you have been anointed. Amen. Now this really matters to John. Because that anointing did a lot of things. We'll get to that. So the anointing with the Holy Spirit refers to the act of God the Father sending the Spirit to you in answer to the prayer of God the Son. Didn't Jesus say, I have asked the Father and He's going to send to you the Comforter and He's going to lead you and guide you into all truth. He will not speak of Himself, but He will speak of me and show you things to come. John 16. Jesus said, I've asked the Father to send you the Holy Spirit. So when you got saved, God the Father, in answer to Jesus' prayer, anointed you. So can we just say it again? I have been anointed. And in answer to the prayer of God the Son to take up His permanent residence in the believer. This refers to the initial coming of the Spirit into the heart of the believing sinner at the moment He places His faith in the Savior. The minute you get saved, God the Father anointed you with the Holy Spirit. Rubbed it on. Poured it in. Amen.
Isn't that a good anointing? Boy, I remember that anointing. Don't you remember when that peace came in and the joy of the Lord came in and the Word of God began to come alive to you and somehow you just felt different? The room looked cleaner, the sky looked bluer, everything looked... Don't you remember? Because God the Father reached down and anointed you with the Holy Spirit. You have an unction. Now John says in verse 21, I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and that no lie is of the truth. That should be is, is of the truth. John is saying, you know that Jesus is the promised Messiah. Let me just give you a little test tonight. How many of you can say, I know that Jesus was the Messiah and there's none like him? See, you can't say that but by the Spirit of God. Jesus said, no man says Jesus is Lord, but by the Spirit. It's the Spirit that anoints you and gives you revelation. And so the Spirit of God looks up and says, He's the Messiah. He was the Christ. And He bears witness to Him. Now, the word He uses for know, do you see that I've underlined it there? Is oida. This is really powerful. Because he could have said gnosko. Now, if he used gnosko, here's what he would have meant. Another Greek word for to know is gnosko. If he had used that, it would have meant you are progressively coming to know that he is the Messiah. It's slowly dawning on you. But that's not what he said. He used oida. And oida means to know absolutely and finally with no dispute. He's saying to these Christians, you're not progressively coming to know. You know who he was it's settled God said it I believe it that settles it amen so if you're on Larry King and Larry King looks at you and says is he the only way you say I am completely convinced and let me just quote Jesus I'm the way the truth and the life no man gets to the father but through me so we're not coming to know that he was who he said he was if we've been saved we know settled That's what John expected. That's what John expected. Amen. So we're not like the false antichrist teachers who are going, well, you know, he didn't come. We're not sure he was really wrapped in flesh. We're not sure that he really put on a human body. We're just not sure about that at all. Uh Uh-uh. He said, we know. We know. Praise God. You can know something and be narrow-minded and be just fine with it. People say, that's just narrow-minded. Well, it's as narrow as Jesus taught us to be. He said, the road is narrow that leads to life. I mean, if it's a dog, it'll bark. If it's a duck, it'll quack. If it's a bird, it'll fly. If he's Messiah, you know. Amen. Now he says in verse 22 and 23, Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist who denies the Father. Now catch this, everybody. He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Now read the next part with me. This is so important. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. Ooh. Go on ABC, NBC, CBS, or CNN and say that. 
Don't you tell me he's the only way. We believe in this God, that God, the other God. Believe in what you want. But the testimony of the Word of God is this. And let's just look at the testimony of the Word of God. John, by the Holy Ghost, said, if you deny the Son, you don't have God. Is that what he said? I'm, that's why I'm putting these up here on transparency, so, you, you can just, so we can all look at it together. Now, here's what we would be told. We would be told that that is not a PC statement. That's not politically correct. You've got to be more open-minded. Ladies and gentlemen, if, you're, if you have come up to a huge lake, hundreds of feet deep, and you have got to get to the other side or you're going to die. And there's only one bridge that you can travel across to get there. What is narrow about just admitting it? I see one bridge. You can try to swim. You can try to paddle. You can try a hundred different ways to cross that lake. But there's one one bridge. What is narrow about saying there's one bridge? Now, here's what John is telling us. We're not all children of God. Now, let me preface that. We're created by God, but we're not all children of God. Because if I deny that Jesus Christ was his son and I don't receive him or accept the blood of the covenant to cover my sins and come to him where he anoints me with the Holy Spirit and I am born again, John says, you are not in contact. You don't possess the Father. Literally, the first four words read like this in the original language. Who is the liar? but he who habitually denies that Jesus is the Christ. What is the issue? What, what is the big deal with the name Jesus and Christ? Who is the liar who denies that Jesus is the Christ? That's the liar. Well, what is the deal with Jesus and, and the Christ? All right, the English name Jesus comes from the Greek name Iesus, which in turn is taken from the Hebrew word Jehoshua, which means Jehovah saves. He who denies that Jehovah saves through the person of Jesus is a liar. So in the name Jesus there is contained deity because who saves? Jehovah. And who was Jehovah? God. And atonement from the person who bears that name. Jesus, the Bible says, was Jehovah God saving us by atonement for our sins, he is to us, Jehovah saves. That's why the wrangling about the name. And that's why I told you in that Christmas message. What is the big deal? Happy holidays, this and that and the other. What is the problem with saying Christmas? Because, folks, inherently there is something in the spirit world that reacts and responds to Jesus or Christ. So let's just gut Christmas of the name 
Christ and call it happy holidays or happy whatever, but don't use the name Christ. What is doing that? It's the spirit of Antichrist that opposes the work and the person and the office of Jesus Christ. All right, now, the name Christ is the translation of Christos, a Greek word meaning the anointed one. And this comes from the Hebrew word from which we get Messiah. So the the denial that John is so against is that the person called Jesus the Christ, here's what the Antichrist people were saying, he was neither God, Jehovah who saves, nor man, the promised Messiah. And that on the cross, he did not offer an atonement for sin. And John said, if you try to take away from Jesus Christ everything that that name and those two names imply, you're walking in an antichrist spirit. You're coming against the work of God. I I would be, I would be truly, truly afraid to in any way diminish the person of Christ. In any way. Humanize him too much take away from him everything that God declared him to be because folks he's the holy one David the psalmist said kiss the son lest he be angry you know there's some things you don't mess with verbally or any other way and one of them is the reality of the person of Jesus Christ if you do you're you're moving in the spirit of antichrist you got to be careful so these people that go on tv Say, he's not the only way. Oh, I don't really believe that he was raised from the dead. I heard one preacher on Easter Sunday morning. I'll call him a preacher. So he called himself, but he wasn't a preacher. Because that means a declarer of truth, and he wasn't declaring any truth. He said, now we all know that Jesus was not really literally raised from the dead. I wanted to step back from the TV. (laughs) Lest the lightning that hit him came out and hit me too. Because you don't mess with that stuff. See, that's why John said, he who takes away from him the name Jesus and what that implies, or Christ and what that implies, that is Antichrist. That's Antichrist. Wow. Then John cuts to the bone. And here's what he says. Everybody, let's read it together. This is strong. Everyone who denies the Son, not even does he have the Father. That's straight out of the Greek. That's the way it would read if you read it in the Greek. Everyone who denies the Son, not even does he have the Father. The implication is at all. So these people go out and say, well, I don't have to be a, a Christian. Well, you don't have to be religious, a religious Christian, but you've got to be born again or you won't see the kingdom of God. How are you born again? through Christ. And if you're not born again, you can go hug a tree, go off in the, in the woods and meditate and go into transcendental meditation and become one with the universe or so you think you are. You know, you can access a hundred different things this world is offering, but you will not have the Father. Isn't that strong? Then John assures us that. Well, let me finish that one above. He is not God's child, not a Christian, but an unsaved person who needs to get saved. Then John assures us that he who acknowledges the Son has the Father 
also. Wow, 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 wow. This is a truth that the church cannot let go of. This is what we're here for. If we can't declare this, let's just go home and watch I Love Lucy reruns. It's over. This is the message of the church. There's only one name given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus. The word acknowledges, he who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Acknowledges comes from a word meaning to speak the same thing that another does. So when we confess Jesus as the Christ, we are agreeing with the testimony of God through his word concerning the sonship of Jesus who is called the Christ. To acknowledge is just to agree with God. And I'm going to tell you, I can remember when I was 16 years old sitting in juvenile home, I can remember, wasn't raised in Christianity at all, didn't know anything about Christ, Christianity, nothing. But uh, the preacher came and led me in a prayer. And as soon as I agreed with God and acknowledged Christ by the Holy Spirit dealing with me, I was born again. Because as soon as you embrace Christ, you've embraced the Father. This is what he says. This is why I'm putting it up here. I want you to see it with me. Because this is what our culture is coming against. Now let's read 24 and 26 together, can we? Here, John says, in light of these things, therefore let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning of your salvation experience. This is the beginning he's talking about abides in you if you i'm sorry if what you heard from the beginning of your salvation experience abides in you you also will abide in the son and in the father and this is the promise that he has promised us eternal life these things i have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you the antichrist he says, now, notice the word abide. That's used three times in the ver verses we just read. The word abide. It means to remain in. The believers were to remain in the truth that saved them in the very beginning. What truth saved you in the very beginning? What saved you? What did you respond to when you heard it? Jesus died for your sins, rose from the dead, loves you, and you must be born again. Wasn't that the truth we heard at the beginning? All right, he says, what you began with, you end with. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, the believers were to remain in the truth that saved them at the beginning, namely that Jesus was the Christ, God's only begotten Son, come to die for our sins on the cross and to rise from the dead on our behalf. If they continued to abide in that truth, they would enjoy eternal fellowship with the Father and with the Son. So you know what truth I'm walking in today? The truth that saved me when I was 16 years old. And you know what truth I'll be walking in when I'm 90 and still preaching? That truth. This is what you call absolute truth. It does not change. It never changes. It doesn't need to change. It's the truth. Amen? Now, here he goes talking about that anointing we got again. Let's read it together, can we? But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you. And you do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie, 
and just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. The anointing which you have received from him abides or remains in you, and you don't need that anyone would teach you. I remember I opened up the Bible a couple of times before I was saved. I forget where I even found it, but it was a black Bible, and it looked like the classic religious Bible. And I opened it up, and it was the King James, you know, the, the language Jesus spoke in. I heard a couple of people say, Amen. No, no, I'm kidding. And, and um, I started reading that thing. Thee, thou, wouldest, shouldest, couldest. I remember thinking, who in the world can read this and not be bored stiff? Who? But after I got saved, I opened up that Bible. Wah! You know why? Because God had reached down and anointed me. And that anointing that he put in me is a teacher. The ultimate teacher of the church. Matter of fact, the only way that you're able to understand what I'm saying tonight is because the Holy Ghost is helping you absorb divine truth that Paul said to the world was folly. So, the Holy Spirit makes the truth come alive. He is a teacher. The Holy Spirit, the anointing we received, stays with us how long? Forever. John said it abides, it remains in you. Now, David the psalmist prayed, take not your Holy Spirit from me. And here's why he said, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. I've had people ask me about this. Because the Spirit in the Old Testament came upon an individual for the period of that person's ministry and left him when that ministry was over without affecting his salvation. Do you know that? The, the Spirit of God would come upon you in the Old Testament as an anointing. And when your ministry was over, it left you. And usually, when I study my Old Testament, I see that when that anointing for ministry lifted off of an Old Testament person, they usually went to be with, with the Lord after that. Their life was over when their usefulness was over. But in the New Testament times, the Spirit is in the believer to say it with me, stay. He remains in you. John says, because of the Holy Spirit living within you, what do you not need? You have no need to constantly have someone else teaching you. Now, he's not setting aside the usefulness and necessity of God-appointed equipped and equipped teachers in the church. Ephesians 4.11 mentions teaching pastors. That's what I'm doing right now. I'm teaching you the Word of God. He's telling them that they are not at the mercy of false teachers, but they have the Holy Spirit and the Word to instruct them. And here's what he's telling you. Now, most of you are not called to stand in the pulpit and preach. You're not called to be on radio. You're not called to what we might call professional ministry. But all of you, please hear me, all of you have been anointed. And, and all of you have been called. And all of you should be being taught by the Holy Ghost. You ought to be able to open up this Bible and have the Holy Spirit teach you. That's why before I open up the Word... I usually take a minute and say, Lord, I just want to worship you. I worship you. I worship you for what you've done. I worship you for who you are. I'm just going to worship you for a moment. And I worship you, Lord. I lift my hands and I praise you. And as I do that, the anointing, the Holy Ghost, I can sense him settling on me. Why do I do that? Because I want him teaching me when I open the word.
I want you to say with me, I've got a teacher in me. You know, I think of Jesus. Here he is. Behold the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. Yet I say to you, Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Behold the birds of the air. You know, they don't sow, they don't reap, and, and, nor gather into barns, but your heavenly Father feeds them. And here, here's Jesus pointing to things, using word pictures, teaching. It says in the Bible, no man taught like Jesus Christ. That same Christ is in you by way of the anointing and he's still teaching he gave you the spirit to teach you i'm gonna tell you in america we've got a glut of preachers and teachers i mean there's there's 10 of them per square foot all through america and we have our favorite ones you know i have my favorite ones but i'm gonna tell you something the ultimate teacher of the church is no human being, but it's the Holy Ghost. And if you like some human being who opens the word to you, it's only because the Holy Spirit is on them. But that same Spirit is in you. You have been anointed. You have an anointing. So you ought to open up that Bible excited. I am every day. I'm getting so much out of 1 John, just me and Jesus and 1 John. Just me and Jesus and 1 John. I'm going to have a Bible made sometime that has a light installed in it. So that when I open it, it shoots light into my face. Because that's the way I want you to see the Word of God. The entrance of thy Word gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. You can be simple and be wiser than brilliant people who do stupid things. Wah! And why does it do that? Because the Holy Ghost wrote this word. Holy men of old were moved along, carried along by the Holy Ghost. He penned this word. You think the one who moved on them to write it can't open it up to you? You say, wow, I never saw that. The Holy Ghost says, I not only saw it, I wrote it. <laughs> Say with me again, I have an anointing. I have an anointing. I have an anointing. If you leave this place tonight with one thing going around in your head, rattling in your brain, go to sleep tonight saying, I have an anointing. I have an anointing. Praise God. Verse 28, and now little children abide in him, remain in him, that when he appears we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Now we know what he means by abide, don't we? Remain in the truth that got you saved and remain in fellowship with Jesus. He says, be constantly abiding in him. Stay in the word, walk in the spirit. Hold fast to the truth that saved you in the beginning. Now the word appear, you see that word? That when he appears, the word appears from a word meaning to be made manifest or visible. This excites me. The invisible Lord Jesus will someday be made visible as he comes from heaven into the atmosphere of this earth to catch out his bride, the church. When he appears, John didn't say if, he said when. Now he said we need to be confident when he comes. The word confidence comes from a word meaning cheerful courage, free and fearless confidence, 
boldness, and assurance. This is speaking of the heart attitude of a saint who lives so close to the Lord Jesus. There is nothing between him and his Lord when he comes, nothing of known sin in his life when the rapture occurs. When my parents used to go on vacation, I used to wonder why they wouldn't tell me how long they were going to be gone. Why won't you tell us how long you're going to be gone? What, a week? You never know. Two weeks? Well, we just don't know yet. Why wouldn't they tell me? Because they knew we were mischievous. And they knew that if we, if they said, we're going to be back two weeks from now, Tuesday night at 7 o'clock, we'd have cleaned the house two weeks from them, Tuesday night at 6 o'clock. And when they walked in, we'd have had our halos polished. Mom, Dad. But no, they left it a mystery. So we were afraid. You don't know when they're going to come. Jesus said, no man knows. Because God's not stupid. He says, he says, abide in him. Remain in him. Seek him. Because you never know when dun, 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 dun. <laughs> the word be the little phrase be ashamed means to make ashamed. It's literally to fill through and through with shame. John says, abide in him so that you don't shrink from him, fill with shame when he returns. You don't want to, oh no, you want to say, ah, yes. The word coming comes from a word meaning to be beside. And it's such a powerful word. Literally, it gives you the picture that when Jesus comes, he's going to be standing right beside you. He'll be as close as somebody standing right beside you. Right there. In person it speaks of the personal presence of a person i really believe that there's a lot of churches departing from that and they're being seduced by teachings of demons as surely as the bible told us he was coming the first time the bible has told us he's coming the second time so many people didn't believe he was coming the first time, didn't stop him. And so many people don't believe he's coming again. And when he does, and suddenly he's standing next to you, so to speak, you don't want to go, oh, no. My preacher told me it wasn't true. He said, I don't care what your preacher told you. The anointing told you that I was coming. You want to say, Jesus, I've so longed for you to come. That's the way the true church should be waiting. So let's read the last verse together, can we? If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Can we stand together? How many of you are enjoying 1 John? Isn't this good? It's good stuff. Father, we thank you that we have an anointing from the Holy One. That when we got saved, Father, we thank you that you 
anointed us with the Holy Spirit. He leads and guides us. He teaches us. He strengthens us. He purifies us. And Lord, we want to be among that church that does not shrink in shame when you return. Help us to remain in you, abide in you, in the truth that saved us in the first place. In Jesus' name. Let's just worship a minute, Cam. We got to sense the anointing of God just moved just now. I want some of you to pour out your troubles to the Lord. Some of you are struggling. Give it to him right now. I want to tell you the anointing that he put within you is going to speak to you, is going to give you wisdom. Search for him, seek him, get into his word. Because we need to be confident. Don't even think about the devil. The anointing that you have received is in you. And he's going to carry you through every valley. He's going to strengthen you in every struggle. He's going to present you faultless before Jesus with exceeding joy. I want you to quit thinking about the power of the devil and think about the incredible power of the anointing that you have been anointed with. Thank you, Lord. Praise your name. Give him your cares, give him your fears, give him your doubts right now. We're going to close. But I sensed him breathe on us right when I was about to close, and he's here. We worship and adore you, bowing down before you. Sing it, everybody. Songs of praise is singing. Hallelujah's ringing. Sing it now. Hallelujah. 